Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. subscribe to our podcast you know it's all about how to get the most out of your partner and we're partners so we know all about it it's good get it wherever you want to get it when you go and get it from your podcast place richard and greta you know you know the following podcast is a member of the great big owl family Hello, this episode is another two-parter. This time, when I was speaking to Gemma Arrowsmith, she not only talked about her career and her love of comedy, but she also gave a great deal of writing advice and insight into how to write certain styles of comedy, which I felt was not only fascinating, but also invaluable for people looking to break into writing comedy. And it would have been a shame to cut it simply for time reasons. So anyway, that stuff comes up more in part two. For now, here is part one. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Out of Character, a podcast about sketch and character comedy. My name is Alex Lynch. In this show, I chat to writers and performers from the world of sketch and character comedy to find out what made them venture into it, talk about their characters, maybe meet some of their characters, and generally just shoot the breeze and, more importantly, have a laugh. My special guest for episode 9 is the actor, writer and script editor, Gemma Arrowsmith. Hooray, thanks for having me. No, thanks so much for coming on. How uh, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. This is this is very exciting. Sketch and character comedy is my favourite thing to talk about. That and and dogs. Those are the two areas. Mm. You've chosen the right one. You've definitely chosen the right one to make a podcast about. <laughs> well, that's that's good. And I mean, we are recording this in lockdown. Mm-hmm, yeah. How are you getting on in lockdown? Because you are probably the busiest person I know during this. I'm all right. Yeah, it's um. It's interesting. I've had to adapt a lot because I always write in cafes. I never write at home. So mm. the biggest the biggest change has been not getting distracted at home uh, and having a fold out desk uh, because I don't I don't write ever, I never write at home. So that's been the main uh, difference. But yeah, I was in a bunch of writers' rooms before lockdown happened, and then they managed first immediately as when lockdown happened, they were cancelled, and then they slowly picked back up again as they realised, oh, actually, we can do these via Zoom or via Google Meet. Uh, I mean, yeah. I know so many video conferencing apps now. Um, there's one, there's one <laughs> called Blue Jeans. Have you heard of that one? There's a there's a video. No. I know it's called Blue Jeans. Apparently, it's called Blue Jeans <laughs> because. 
the guy who founded it wanted video conferencing to be as common as a pair of blue jeans. I looked it up. Uh, so <laughs> that's true. Um, so yeah, wow. I, was, I know. <laughs> so I was in these writers rooms online and they worked pretty smoothly. When everyone's internet is behaving, mm. it's, uh, you can sometimes forget that uh, you're not in a regular in-person writers room. Um, so they're they're working pretty well. I'm I'm interested to see what happens to the industry after lockdown and coronavirus is over, and whether we see more writers' rooms happening online, and whether that broadens the t- the the number of people and their backgrounds, um, the, the backgrounds of people you see in writers' rooms. Because at the moment you have to be sort of commutable to London, really, in this country. Um, yeah. But it'd be lovely to see writers' rooms with you know someone from Glasgow and someone from. Um, Cardiff and someone from London all in a writer's room together and actually I've been in a writer's room that's across three continents so we had someone in New York really? someone in, yeah someone in New York someone in Sydney and a bunch of people from London so that's wow. pretty amazing yeah so the Sydney people were really uh, were really late at night the New York yeah. person was really early in the morning and we we were the lucky ones <laughs> at normal time <laughs> oh my god yeah so you're adjusting to online writer's rooms because I guess the other thing with uh, writer's rooms is I don't know, the kind of when you're in a room and everyone is throwing ideas across the table. And because there's always the Zoom etiquette of, uh, oh, sorry, oh, oh, no, you go. Like, does that double the amount of time in the writer's room? Well, you know what? What? I've been doing some work for a really brilliant company and they manage that incredibly well. So everybody has to mute themselves and then they have have a designated person who sort of orchestrates who we're going to go to next. And you just, you have to, you you raise your hand. And that sounds like it's a bit stifling. It works brilliantly. (laughs) Like you raise your hand and then we come to that person, we come to that person, we come to that person. And um, it's been brilliant. It genuinely hasn't felt stilted or awkward. It's, I mean, another thing is I run, I run a lot of um, writing workshops and I've had to adapt those comedy writing workshops to online. And one of the first things I learned about Zoom etiquette is definitely get everyone to mute themselves because in the first week I had someone, one of the students' phones went off and played uh, Money, Money, Money by ABBA. That was the <laughs> ringtone. And... Um, it, because everybody had it in speaker view her it was just her face on everyone's screen scrabbling to pick up her phone so brilliant advice is definitely go into gallery mode number one and yep. uh, and definitely everyone <laughs> mute themselves except the person talking so i'm learning a lot about about online etiquette basically was there really any online etiquette before no, no. it seemed a bit of a free no. and it? i always i was always one of those people that hated skyping and it was like oh no oh, yeah. either can i have an in-person meeting or can we just have a phone call but i hate i hate skype and i've really turned around on that now i think now i can see myself in the future going oh no let's have a let's do it on google meet instead of uh of like me traipsing all of the way to, into town to do, <laughs> do it on blue jeans minute. yeah do it on blue jeans Hey, I'll see you on Blue Jeans. Weird, right? What a weird name. So to go back to days of before coronavirus, mm-hmm, yes. growing up, what was what got you into, into comedy? How did you sort of find your love of sketch and character? I wanted to write comedy since I was 10 and I first saw Faulty Towers. But actually, you know, when you look back, you can see the origins even earlier than that. So uh, I all of the sort of um, cartoons I watched 
like Duckula and Danger Mouse and things like that all had brilliant I mean that's David Jason her amazing comedy talent um, voicing them and brilliant writing. You look back on some of the Duckulas and they're just like, God, this is great. This is really well written. So I can see Origins before that. The only thing I wanted to be before I wanted to be a comedy writer uh, was a ventriloquist uh, and a <laughs> an animator. Those are the two things. And they're sort of related, aren't they? So um, when, I was ventriloqu- <laughs> when I wanted to be a ventriloquist, I didn't speak. I spoke without moving my lips for six months and my parents got worried about me. <laughs> that's uh, how, you know, but I think it's all, that's all part of acting and being funny and doing voices. So I can sort of see the mm. origins. And then I saw Faulty Towers and we were in a video shop, a video rental shop, which mm-hmm. dates the anecdote perfectly. And um, <laughs> I was looking at the cartoons. There's a wall of cartoons. And then the, on the other side, the opposite side, there was a wall of comedy. And I don't know why there was this, there was this, VHS of Faulty Towers. It was the it, people who know the old covers of Faulty Towers. It was the brown I one. Do. And um, my mother said, "Oh, that's a brilliant show. You'd love that." And we got that out. And I watched it, and I sort of couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like I couldn't believe anything could be that good. I, I was just yeah. amazed. How can anything be this funny? And it was also I, I was very lucky. I had parents that one hundred percent indulged all of these whims so they would buy me yeah so they were strict in some ways like I had to keep doing my schoolwork. but as long <laughs> as my grades were good they would buy me any videotape I wanted like honestly I remember once being there was a, a, a place called volume one and it was a bookshop that also sold some comedy videos and I used to get mm. it was in the Merry Hill shopping center because I'm from Birmingham and um I remember getting this Ruby Wax. There was a Ruby Wax VHS of her stand-up and it was, I, I took it up to the counter to buy it. Yeah. And the woman went, oh no, this is an 18. You can't buy it. And I went, oh, okay. Uh, Mum, can you come and buy me this video? <laughs> she just walked up and bought it for me. <laughs> like there was, they would buy me anything. Um, so I was very lucky in that respect. And I remember my dad coming home with a double box set of the young ones and going, this is brilliant. You'll love this. So they, I had, I was very lucky in that I had parents that one hundred percent indulged all of this nonsense um, from day one, and yeah, and just would buy me anything. Would take, I had actually my my nan and granddad, my mother's parents, they taped anything off the telly for me. So they would tape all of Dad's Army and all of Porridge and anything right. like that. So I would watch all of that. Um, so yeah, I got my my comedy education um, thanks to having. Very accepting parents, basically. Um, That's amazing. I think they had a great love of comedy. So when they started taking me up to the end of a fringe, they, I mean, I remember Ah. my, my mother sitting with me watching we are clang um in the pleasant oh, hut wow. and like it being in tears laughing and it was so yeah they like they 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 love their comedy they don't have jobs that are anything to do with comedy or the performing <laughs> arts or anything they have very normal proper i would proper jobs you know proper normal nine to five jobs so they are nothing to do with the industry whatsoever but yes they they have a real uh, love of comedy i think yeah they gave them an excuse to buy lots of silly comedy videos and um and enjoy them with me they took me to see rick and aid do bottom live when i was 10 oh my god i mean god. like way too and they thought oh it'll just be like the tv series which is a bit rude but <laughs> basically fine and oh i don't know whether listeners of, of alex's podcast 
if you've not seen bottom if you've not seen bottom go and watch bottom it's wonderful but if you've not mm. seen the bottom lives go go and watch them and you will see that because they are live and not bound by broadcast rules they they are it's a lot ruder <laughs> it's loads loads ruder i mean there's so much yeah. more swearing and it's so, i mean the entire plot of bottom the first bottom live show is that richie has ordered a blow-up sex doll and is trying to get eddie out of the flat so he can have a romantic night with it that's the plot of the entire first first show and apparently we were in the second row at the wolverhampton civic i think it was the second (laughs) row and my mom on one side my dad on the other and they they say they just slowly like dropped further and further down in their seats going oh god this is so not appropriate to have brought our 10 year old to i I know i was 10 and i got all the merchandise so i got like a t-shirt and the program and i took it into my primary school the next day um going i want to see this i mean god bless my parents Uh, (laughs) but going no we'll still get her the t-shirt she really wants it so um (laughs) it's still somewhere i've got the actually Mm. in the very next room to the one i'm sitting in right now i have the the (laughs) bottom um hoodie from one of their live tours which i still and still wear quite often i can't remember which one is it the 2001 uh, an arse oddity (laughs) uh, (laughs) um but yeah what god that's still one of my i think that's probably one of the best moments of live theatre i've ever experienced with seeing bottom (laughs) life it was wonderful I tell you, it, it's interesting because I, I, so I grew up in, in Birmingham um, and we, so we only had, my parents, as I said, I was very lucky to have them and they took me to any of the acts that were touring. But I think because it's, it sort of self-selects for acts who are already quite established and are touring around big venues. Um, yes. So I was always really envious of people who grew up in London that could go to these little clubs and see up and coming sketch acts and things like that because that Mm. was London was like a different place London was you know it's like 90 minutes away on the train but when you're a kid that's (laughs) different planet basically yeah so I saw Lee Evans I saw Jack D and Halen Pace (laughs) and um, yeah and Hunter (laughs) Dennis and um, Victoria Wood actually I saw at Symphony Hall which was incredible amazing yeah I was I was very lucky but yeah I it was all people who were already pretty darn established um stand-ups and and yeah and also character comics I just character comedians and, and sketch comedians I didn't see as much I saw, saw loads of stand-up live but looking back on it, I'm just thinking about it now and I didn't see as much sketch and character comedy it's a smaller circuit isn't it stand-up's just a much bigger circuit than yeah sketch and character comedy for sure I mean it was as I say when I like, I'm not from London, as you know, so it was kind of, when there was comedy in Brighton, it was, hey, the big comedians are coming to Brighton, Bill Bailey, yeah, Ross Noble, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was only when I went, it was because I was in London, I was working, I was commuting when I was working in TV production, and a friend of mine was just like, oh, I'm going to go watch uh, this sort of super group of comedians. Yeah, yeah. The I don't know if you ever went to it, but it was called the Comedy Rebel Alliance. I remember that, yes. Yeah, yes. and that was the first time, and because it was a super group made up of members of Beta Males and Clever Peter and and then Steve McNeil was there and Anna Morris and Rachel Paris and Louise Ford and suddenly it was like who are, wow who are these people and then I kind of wanted to then go and check out the groups that they were all from and then suddenly it just sort of opened up this 
oh my god, there's this massive this whole circuit. Thing, yeah, it's always been smaller. Like the the sketch and character circuit has always been much smaller. When you think about the number of straight stand up nights that are on in London every night, yeah. <laughs> just like everywhere, and you often see sketch and character comedians going, are there any are there any other sketch nights that I should be hitting up? Because, yeah. and I think there are some <laughs> there are some nights that can manage. A, a sketch mm. and character act amongst the stand-ups but that requires a really uh, good compare yeah uh, because the rules are different for an audience when a stand-up is just talking directly to them telling stories that are supposedly real stories that have actually happened to them and then mm. suddenly a character comes on or a sketch group comes on and suddenly there's this like, like I, I now need you to jump into this fictional world with me now obviously in yeah. st- stand-up obviously some of the things they're saying aren't true and it obviously depends on the different style of stand-up that you are either it's like pure fantasy or it's little tweaks to real life or you could be telling 100% true stories it, it depends on what style you're going for but with character comedians and with with sketch comedians you're going now okay the rules of this interaction between me and the audience are now different uh, if you're in a sketch you're going right there is now a fourth wall um if you're a character comedian you're going i'm wanting you to jump into this fictional world with me the, so the rules for the audience are suddenly different and i think there are definitely clubs that can manage that and there are definitely clubs that don't manage that transition well so i've definitely done some nights where it's suddenly really awkward and weird when you're the you're the character comic or you're yeah. the sketch comedian going on amongst a <laughs> load of stand-ups and it feels really clunky and weird yeah. because it's loads of stand-ups and then I'm suddenly coming on <laughs> in a silly yeah. costume maybe <laughs> doing an accent. No, 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 no. I now, if I'm asked to do a, a five or ten minute set, I always... Because I'm more of a sketch comedian, actually, than a character comedian. And I will talk more about what I think the differences are in a minute. But I always just have a chat as myself first. And then I say, right, I'm going to do a bunch of sketches for you. Uh, The the first one is this. And so and that's interesting because my first solo show in Edinburgh, um, I used to... It was on the Free Fringe. And I used to start by just going straight into it. It was a really high concept. It was called um, Gemma Arrowsmith, Defender of Earth, uh, yes. which was a re- which was a title of a rejected <laughs> Doctor Who spinoff. Um, so there was going to be yeah. So it was going to be called Rose Tyler, Defender of Earth. And so I amazing. thought Defender of Earth is an amazing title. I'm going to have that. So mm. it was called Gemma Arrowsmith, Defender of Earth. And it was a, a high concept show about a work. I don't know if you've seen the Red Dwarf uh, episode, The Inquisitor. Very similar sort of a plot to oh, the Red Dwarf. Oh, which episode, one's that? That is the one where a creature sort of pulls our four leads out of existence and says, like, justify your existence. Otherwise, I'm going to give one of the many other Dave Listers or Arnold Rimmers. Uh, that could have existed the chance to exist instead of you so you have to justify why your existence is worthy i thought it was like i just i freaking love red dwarf oh my god i Mm. was a huge fan we'll talk more about that in a minute but um i so i i decided (laughs) it's it's not exactly the same but it was i had a really just the the world's most average woman who just works in a call center doesn't really like her job she is plucked out of existence uh, yeah. as as a as an example of the world's most average person and she has to justify why humanity should be allowed to continue existing <laughs> but all of humanity <laughs> so and then we we then see the sort of the rest of the sketches were 
the best and worst of humanity, basically. And it's like, mm. uh, that was the, the sort of thread that I hung the rest of the show on. That's anyway, great. the point is I, w- I used to go out and I used to go straight into this and it would be like a voiceover introducing this character of Lucy. And um, the audience were, I think they just sort of weren't ready. It was like they weren't ready. They wanted a little bit of like you to do your own warm up. They, they weren't ready for like this yeah. quite theatrical idea of like introducing this character. And so I, I just changed it about a week into the run in Edinburgh. I used to just go out and I would go, hello, I'm Gemma Arrowsmith. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, I hugely appreciate it. How, oh, is, is it raining outside? Oh, well, you'll be warm in here. Just all of that sort of just a little bit of back and forth. It's like, right, I'm going to do a show now and uh, I hope you go on the journey with me or whatever. And then I would start. And the difference and it was like literally just say, talking for like a minute the difference was huge just because they'd met the performer beforehand and got just like um, 60 seconds of getting to know them it was they were immediately such a warmer audience isn't that interesting I don't know. that's really interesting and it was a, by the way it was just chatting to them with like pretty much no jokes or anything like that it was just genuinely going on and saying hello <laughs> to the audience not not written not no no gags in it no no nothing but you're already striking up a rapport with the audience exactly yeah and it made a massive difference isn't that funny um and you and you, and you it sounds like you did it in a way that because people aren't stupid they can tell when that is contrived and when that's being yeah, you're trying yeah. too hard so you were naturally just just making them feel welcome yeah it it was like a huge difference now I think maybe that's partly to do with it being the free fringe and if you're going into a sort of one of the more paid venues like Gilded Balloon or Underbelly or whatever Mm. and it's it's a more theatrical venue then you might have an audience that's more psychologically prepared for a more theatrical product that they're watching yeah but it's because they're sort of so it was in um it was like downstairs in the club of a hotel they had a club on the bottom floor and which had lovely like lighting setup and was actually very nice but um it's like the setting didn't suggest you are about to see a, th- a real theatery thing the setting suggested this is going to be like raw stand-up or whatever yeah so i think the audience like they they weren't prepped by their surroundings for something that's a bit more fourth wall a bit more theatrical um so coming out and just chatting to them beforehand yeah made all the difference but if you're going into a theater if you're going into a theater like a theater venue like, you know, if I were going to the Wolverhampton Grand, which is like a proper beautiful theatre, um, I would be more psychologically prepared for, oh, yeah, this will be a play type of thing. Yeah. Where I am an audience. I am watching in the darkness and I don't, there's no hecklers. You don't heckle a play. Um, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's not a two-way thing uh, as much as stand-up is. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, that's an interesting point, which has literally just popped into my head as I'm talking to you. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> that your venue matters. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Mike Darlings. It's me, Anna Mann, actress, singer, welder. Gotta have a backup. I've been in everything, my darlings, and I've been cut from most things. However, I will not be cut from one thing, and that is my own podcast, Talking to Actors with Anna Mann, where I meet those rarest of creatures, the actors. That's Talking to Actors on The Great Big Owl. Your solo shows. I'm just yeah. going to run, run through the, the titles. Um, Defender of Earth. Yeah. Everything That's Wrong With The Universe. Correct. And Earthling. Yes, yeah, so far, yes, so far. <laughs> with that sort of common theme, like, as you said, when you were, you know, you loved comedy growing up equally, were you also a big sci-fi fan? Because you already yeah. mentioned Red Dwarf yeah, and yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah, Red Dwarf was such a massive... Like, that, that came along, you know, probably weeks after Faulty Towers and just mm. turned my world around uh, again. I just couldn't believe it. So I remember the first series I watched go out live was season five, which some people argue is the best season. It's the one with the despair mm-hmm. squid. Oh, yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> I used to get so excited about watching Red Dwarf go out live that I would physically go cold. I would go freezing cold beforehand because I would be so excited uh, that I was about to watch Red Dwarf go out live, not on VHS, not watching old episodes that I've got. I've got on VHS. No, watching the, watching the actual series go out live, and uh, you know, yeah, a lot of people say that season five was the last good season. Some people say like season six. Mm-hmm. I would say one to six are pretty darn bulletproof as, mm. as as sitcoms go. I think it's incredible. I think my favorite episode is Marooned, but that I am partial to a very pared down bottle episode, which it almost is. It's oh, yes. most of it. It's just Rimmer and Lister trapped on Starbug on this frozen planet. Most of it is. Yeah. That. Not all of it. Uh, so it's not a proper full on bottle episode, but it is almost a bottle episode. And um, I'm really partial to those. I love everything being stripped down to the bare bones of what comedy is. Mm. And you've got a very sort of messy character and a very uptight character. It's really just the yes. odd couple, but it's in space. I mean, what a, what a show. I, used, I found a bunch of books from when I was little recently and I'd written my name in the front. I'd written Gemma Arrowsmith, RDF, and that stood for Red Dwarf Fan. <laughs> I gave myself le- letters <laughs> after my name and that stood for Red Dwarf Fan. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So it was because that was how huge a deal Red Dwarf was um, for me. Mm. Recently, like literally the last couple of days as we're recording this on Twitter, someone posted, what was a thing you weren't allowed to have as a child? Mine was Palmer Violets. That was someone. For me, Gemma Arrowsmith, it was a t-shirt which had Dave Lister on it uh-huh. and it was from the episode Polymorph. It said, let's get out there and twat it. Really big, like the word twat, really big. Let's oh, get out there and wow. twat it. Um, that was the one line where it was my mother went, maybe we don't get a t-shirt that's got the word twat really huge on it. Like maybe we don't, maybe <laughs> I'll get you any of the other t-shirts that have Red Dwarf on them, any of them. 
but not that oh one. Oh, my God. That was where she drew a line of, of taking her 12, maybe 11, 12-year-old <laughs> daughter out with the T-shirt with the word twat written on it really big, um, which is fair enough, really. <laughs> but I remember... <laughs> did, you, did you ever get it? I th- I, do you know what? I don't think I did. I don't think I did get it. <laughs> I should get it, shouldn't I? Um, I remember there was a place in... Back, we're back to the Mary Hill shopping centre that printed T-shirts, and I used to get the Red Dwarfs magazine, which was brilliant, and I think I've still got copies at home. And there was this one beautiful front cover which had a drawing of the, the five main characters. So uh, Holly, uh, Hattie Hayridge Holly as well. Yes. Um, and I cut the Red Dwarf logo out and put that in the middle of these five beautifully drawn characters. And I got that printed on a T-shirt. And so there's like... I wore that t-shirt to shreds. So pretty much <laughs> if you find a picture of me as a child when I was about ten, between 10 and maybe 13, I will definitely yeah. be wearing that Red Dwarf t-shirt that I had printed, <laughs> which was a wow. one of a kind, basically. Um, so yeah, Red Dwarf was a big deal. Um, and yes, science fiction was. Uh, Red Dwarf led me on... Well, the thing is, <sighs> Doctor Who was cancelled when I was eight. So yeah, I remember watching the last season go out which was McCoy and I have vivid memory of watching I think survival so I think the last literally the last one before it was cancelled that went out it wasn't the last one that was filmed it was the last one that was Mm -hmm. shown and I have memory of watching that while eating spaghetti bolognese and I'm pretty sure that's a real memory not a manufactured memory (laughs) and then it was cancelled and then it came back briefly for the tv movie when I was I think 14 uh when he's on the bike yeah 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 um (laughs) And then it was rebooted <laughs> when I was out the other side of university. Uh, so, it, yeah, I didn't... Weirdly, I didn't grow up with um, with Doctor Who. I did watch I did watch repeats of mostly the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, on UK yes. Gold. But I, I sort of didn't grow up... I didn't have... Like, for example, when people say, oh, he, so-and-so is my Doctor, I don't really have one because uh, the age when you're properly meant to be full-on into Doctor Who, it wasn't on the air um, for me. So it was all sort of old stuff but uh star trek my god star trek was a big deal <laughs> uh for me yeah next generation which uh, and then obviously deep space nine and um voyager started but it will always be next generation for me so yes science fiction has a huge place in my heart and that's yeah you're right that's why there's been a thread of science fiction very big ideas science fiction that's run through my solo shows it's really fascinating as well because you bring like you're clearly interested in space as well. Yeah. Is it Earthling where you talk about the golden record? Yeah, I I love um I love Carl Sagan uh, as a science communicator and uh, mm. he spearheaded in 1977 two spacecraft that went to explore the outer solar system and are now currently in deep space, uh, still communicating with us, one of them. Um, and I, I just, aboard them, there were these golden records that um, contained images and sounds from Earth. And I just, I couldn't believe that when I learned about that. And um, I just thought, that's kind of, that's the thread of a show, I think. That's the, the thread of a show, because it's about, yeah. again, the best and worst of humanity, which I, I love. Um, so and it, I just thought it takes you through. It, it's got all different sections about of the golden record. So you've got music and art and um, science. And I thought, oh, those are just like sections of a show. You could do a section about science or bad science, and you could do a section about art and culture, and you do a section about this. You could do a section about um, growing up, and then a section about getting old. And it just seemed to me to be like such a lovely 
structure for a show. It's definitely the show I'm most proud of, of my three solo. Because before I was a, a solo comedian, I was in a double act for three years in Edinburgh. So oh, really? I, yeah, I was, in part, I was half of Mould and Arrowsmith with Steve Mould, oh. who is now part of Festival of the Spoken Nerd. Uh, yeah, three double act shows under my belt. Um, working with Steve was brilliant. Uh, I mean, he's fantastic. Um, actually, during lockdown, I, we wrote a sketch probably for the first time in 10 years. So uh, he had a brilliant idea for a sketch that involved uh, Zoom and and Skype and lag. And so he contacted yeah. me. And um, if your listeners have not heard of Festival of the Spoken Nerd, I hugely advise. If you are into comedy and your science, they are the perfect amalgam of those two things. And I've That's done their great. shows many times. So uh, yeah, they, they have a, a Festival of the Spoken Nerd, which they, they have touring shows. And then they have a sort of off-season um, show called An Evening of Unnecessary Detail where you can do a set uh, that goes into crazy detail about a subject and they have scientists and and they have me <laughs> and my last one was talking <laughs> about the history of broadcasting which is uh, what hopefully when when I ever have time <laughs> will be the next show that I write yeah it's great I, I, I mean I didn't see Defender of Earth but the first show I saw of yours was Everything That's Wrong With The Universe did you see that one I did, did I, I saw it at the Museum of comedy oh you did you did you did i remember that yeah, yeah. um that was uh, that was great but yeah the concept of earthling was just as well as being really funny was just so fascinating and i loved how you got everyone to write a message that you would put or like what would you yeah. put into the record that was just again a really nice way of bringing the audience into it and getting them involved yeah i love doing that i, I so the next one is going to be about the history of broadcasting and I'm doing a similar thing in that I'm asking, what's your earliest broadcast memory? What do you remember about, yeah, radio, early radio, early TV memories? I love oh, I love those things. You know, when you go to like a, a, a an exhibition or something and then there's a bit, at the, you come to the end of the exhibition and you can write what you think mm. uh, on a little card. I'm obsessed yes. with those things. I love, I love <laughs> reading through those things. So I That's love reading great. the funny ones and the sort of sweet ones and the poignant ones and ones written by kids. Like I just cannot get enough of stuff like that. So I, 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 that's why I definitely wanted that sort of a thing in in Earthling. It felt like appropriate material for that. So yeah, uh, yeah, and I loved people's responses were so beautiful. I did a, an online survey as well as the paper survey on people's seats, and like just, people's responses are great. Um, and I'm mean, also just purely from a, a more cynical perspective, it's really nice posting people's answers, and uh, that's a really nice bit of extra content. Yeah, because I think it's it can be a bit draining on Twitter. I mean, I can't I can't really stand social media anymore. But um, no. and I also Part of what I don't like about Edinburgh and performing is that it's the marketing of it that takes over when it should be just about yeah the enjoyment of performing. But it does it is just like relentlessly trying to promote your show and oh my god yeah yeah it's just and just posting the same image over and over again I don't think is enough. So I always want to add a bit of extra content for people to you know be a bit interested in <laughs> so it's supposed to oh yeah that image again that image again that image again so posting people's responses to that questionnaire it's like oh, here's some lovely responses on on this subject on this subject and that's just a bit of extra something that's really nice yeah yeah the broadcasting's great i really i've got a similar thing to you the first time i properly like cried laughing was uh faulty towers yeah it's unbelievable isn't it it was communication problems oh, that's brilliant yeah, it was that kind of thing, as you say, it's that kind of, oh my God, I've never seen anything so good, so funny before. Incredible, just bulletproof. Just like, you know, you you can't really tell, of the 12 episodes, 
and and there may have been a 13th script I have heard uh, but there is really? yeah 12 episodes you can't tell which one's season one and season two you can't tell mm. which one was the first episode to go out I mean I, I know which one's the first episode to go out but you but I only know that like intellectually from learning about it you can't tell yeah 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 In shows written by and you've worked with the people that you grew up watching, like Ben Elton and Punt and Dennis. Yeah. Did you ever did you ever get uh, an audition for a dwarf? Oh God, no! I would love that. My God, can you imagine? I think it's too good, though. I think it's one of those things. I would make <laughs> such a fool of myself. I already do. I mean, one of my, my in fact, <laughs> my actual one hundred percent first television job, um, really soon after drama school, was in a. Jennifer Saunders sitcom called Vivian Vile, which was a sort oh, of yes, Jeremy the Kyle. talk show. Yeah. yeah. And I played uh it was one of the people that was on her show, and I was playing the wife of a sex addict. <laughs> now, if you go on my IMDB, it says like sex addict woman. And I maintain, like, if you watch that show, I was the wife of a sex addict, thank you. Um, I was not the um, So it was Neil oh. Edmund. It was me and Neil Edmund. Um, Neil Edmund played the sex addict. I played mm. his wife. Um, anyway, <laughs> so that was, I was like six months out of drama school, maybe. And I was doing a scene with Jennifer Saunders. Mm. <laughs> it's just nuts. That's amazing. Yeah, she was lovely. I mean, it's literally, I said three sentences in that. And it, yeah, she was, she was incredible. She was very nice. And I remember meeting Hugh Dennis for the first time and thinking, I, I, I was like, oh, don't mention the fact that you saw him live at the Wolverhampton Civic in 1993, maybe, on the uh, the imaginatively titled tour, is what it was called. Because um, it was the imaginatively titled Punter Dennis show and then the imaginatively titled yes. tour. And I was like, don't mention that, don't mention that. And, and that you've got his signature on a, on a ticket at home. Um, and it, I, he went, hi, I'm Hugh. And I went, yeah, I know, I saw you at the Wolverhampton Civic in 1993. It was like this first <laughs> sentence I said to him. <laughs> <laughs> he's very nice they're both very nice people um mm. and you're a regular on the now show aren't you yeah i have been yeah so there was a series that steve couldn't do and so for that series they got extra stand-ups in to do an extra spot and they got me and luke kempner to do voices now normally you just have one person doing voices on a lot of the shows like so it's either me yes. or luke but for this series we, it was us in every episode and it was so nice feeling like an actual company because normally they rotate who does the voices understandably because you want to give more people opportunities and i'm very very pro that uh, but for this one series because they had so much else to organize because steve couldn't do it they it meant uh, look let's just have the same people every week it's simple they've booked and it's just less stress so it meant we were a real company for this uh this one season and um yeah and i got to do Theresa may voices every week because uh, it was i was really lucky because that's that season was when Theresa may was <laughs> prime minister so <laughs> they needed a lot of female uh, a lot of female voice to do Theresa may so um yeah i i did get to be a bit of a, a regular and then when lockdown happened I'd just done it was interesting watching doing the season where lockdown happened because the first episode was in front of an audience as normal 
the next episode I did, I think there was one episode I didn't do, and then there was an episode I did which was recorded at the radio theatre, but without an audience and socially distanced on desks. So that was different. And then lockdown full on happened on the 24th of March. And then the rest of the series was done remotely at home. And I think because I had, I, I knew what I was doing with the Now Show and because I had a decent audio setup at home, those two things combined meant they just went, oh, just book, just book Gemma for the rest of it. Because like, (laughs) (laughs) because it's just, there's so much else to organise with, making sure that we get microphones couriered over to people. Yeah, so of that course. It's, I mean, yeah. the sound engineers at the BBC have done an absolutely staggeringly good job uh, adapting <laughs> to everything being recorded remotely. Like, amazing. Yeah. It sounded pretty good, I think. Like, you know, that you have to acknowledge there's no audience. And I think you have to write, as Steve said, uh, you have to... You can't just write not knowing whether there's going to be an audience or not. You have to no. make that decision because it totally affects the writing, the rhythm of how you write and uh, yeah. what, what will get laughs and and the pauses and everything. It's you, you have to know, which actually brings us back to Red Dwarf because I believe that season six, I think it's season six. There's a series that doesn't have a laugh track. Yeah, and they didn't know yeah. when they were recording it. They They weren't sure whether they were going to just do it without a laugh track full on you know single camera setup or whether they were going to film it and then show it to an audience and record the laughter and have a laugh track but just not a studio audience and they didn't know that um and so it makes for some quite odd rhythms i think it, you know the, I, I watched the um it's Tika to Ride, isn't it? The one with where they go back in time oh, with yes, JFK. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's that one is like forty minutes long. It, so it's it, it's a BBC half hour, so twenty eight minutes is what it normally is. So that that difference of ten twelve minutes makes it seem so long. Um, and with this, it was filmed not sure not sure whether they were going to show it to an audience. So you've got these very long pauses in places, um, and it's a very odd episode. The premise of the episode, I think, is great. Um, and great sci-fi and some really good jokes in it um but it's yeah Yeah. filmed so oddly speaking of recording with studio audiences or not Mm -hmm. i was really lucky last year to do a table read of still open all hours still Um, open all hours yeah still going still going it's odd isn't it so like here's an interesting thing still open all hours has had more episodes now than open all hours (laughs) that's crazy isn't it Um, yeah (laughs) <laughs> so yeah so I, I i mean i say lucky it was it was basically that i got to meet stephanie cole that's that's what i <laughs> that's what i really cared about was meeting stephanie cole and uh sh- she was an absolute dream so i got to do scenes with stephanie cole and you know i was there i should say i was just there as a, as a reader i do lots of these table reads where i do all of the so you you have the main cast there and they need to hear this stuff read out loud and you play all of the female characters that are not cast yet basically um and so i do that and i was also filling in for two uh two main characters as well um cool and roy clark was there the writer who was probably written more oh, episodes yeah. of sitcom than any other human being potentially yeah 
you know, he did uh, Amazing. Last of the Summer Wine, which is has the most, the highest number of episodes of any sitcom, I believe, in the world. So imagine yes, that. Yeah. It's like more than Cheers, more than Frasier, which both ran for 11 seasons and obviously had multiple writers. He wrote every episode of um, Last of the Summer Wine. Um, he <laughs> That's wrote every incredible, episode. isn't it? Isn't that incredible? I mean, yeah. and, and keeping up appearance. I mean, we're talking like, Keep, yeah. he is a, a, a giant. <laughs> um, yeah. It was really interesting. So yeah, David Jason was there. I got to do scenes with David Jason. I did scenes with Stephanie Cole. And then when there was a pause, and like as a reader, you're just there to read. You're not part of the cast. You're, it's a, yeah. quite a weird experience because you are probably literally the only person there in the room who is not working on the show, on the actual show. Yeah. Your involvement in that show finishes at the end of the day. Everyone else right. carries on. So it's quite a weird experience. So I always like, you know, I'll keep, my, keep myself to myself. Um, and yeah. You don't want to bother people who are busy because people are being fitted for, they're being measured for costumes sure. and stuff. So you're just like, oh, just go and get a cup of tea or whatever in the break. And Stephanie Cole made a beeline for me and came over and she went, I just want to say, I think you're doing a marvellous job. I, I, and I, I really enjoyed doing that scene with you. And, and just went off. And wow. I just went, well, I mean, like, this whole day was worth it. This whole uh, career was <laughs> worth it for that moment, I think. She is wonderful. What a, what a performer. Brilliant. If you had to isolate yourself with any TV comedy character from sketch or sitcom... Who would it be? Oh, God, that's brilliant. Um, Okay. I've been watching a lot of Cheers, so... Yeah. I I reckon Sam Malone would be a cool person to... He's, he'd have a lot of baseball stories and, and tales of his uh, drunken youth that you could listen to. And he's definitely a character. <laughs> I mean, like, who wouldn't want to be locked down with Ted Danson? What an absolute charming gent. Now, yes. Sam Malone, however, is not quite the same. Remember it's uh the character not the actor yeah so that's tricky so sam alone is not as charming uh, well he's charming in a different way um so i think maybe yeah sam would be cool he's probably the only one that you could stomach from cheers i think all of the rest of cheers would be super annoying in different ways Diane would be annoying carla oh would be at your throat can you yes. imagine being locked down with Carla and all her kids? Can um, you imagine being locked down with Cliff? He would just roll off trivia. <laughs> he'd bore you. He'd bore like, you to oh. death. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, right, let me think. Uh, I'm going through every... <laughs> So yes. I'm going to say someone like Leslie Nope or Ron Swanson. I think Ron Swanson would be very useful in lockdown, right? Because he'd be a sort of a, a, a not insane prepper, but he'd be very good at being re- ready. Would you isolate with him in his cabin? I think that would be charming. I think he'd be a charming <laughs> chap to talk to. Um, so yeah. that would work. Leslie Nope, again, she'd be very prepared, but probably very nervous, very anxious. So that might not be great. So we've narrowed it down to Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson and Sam Malone. I'm going to go with Ron Swanson out of those. Ron Swanson. That's good, right? This is interesting because my previous guest... David Reed. Yeah. Guess who he's isolating with? Who? Ron Swanson. Yes. See, it's the great. It's the. It's a good choice. That proves. I'm gonna go with Ron Swanson. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> great. It's an S-Pod thing. 
the podcast revisiting S Club 7's insane TV show. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge watched this, anyone who's not on drugs. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this into my life. Uh, it was honestly <laughs> truly appalling. Guests helped me analyse the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. It feels weird to me to say the phrase sex object in a show that <laughs> was aimed at six-year-olds. Do you think, do you think this is one of the problems with this show is that seven is too much? It's an S-pod thing from Great Big Owl. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.